In uplifting news, Nissan might actually have to pay for its crimes against owning a Pathfinder. So that's nice. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, the place where Australian new car buyers save thousands off their next new cars. Hit me up on the website for that. I think we might actually roast a nut right at the end of this report, you know, just for old time's sake. But first, if you own a Nissan Pathfinder R52, please accept my sincere sympathy because nobody deserves that. In Get Even News, class action specialists Bannister Law are considering taking Nissan out behind the woodshed over the appalling CVT transmission in the Pathfinder, which in my view should be retrospectively renamed the Shat. Some names, you know, they just fit like a latex glove, don't they? Bonus points for being a past participle of a verb. You don't see that very often in car names. Now, According to the lawyers, we have received reports from registrants that, one, the CVT is prone to causing sudden, unexpected shaking and violent jerking, i.e. juddering or shuddering when a driver attempts to accelerate, and, two, there exists other issues with acceleration. If you find yourself shat on in this way, Bannister Law wants you to register online at bannisterlaw.com.au slash nissan-cvt-investigation. What a mouthful. I'll put a link in the description, shall I? Or you can just Google the main keywords like Bannister Law and Nissan CVT Investigation and Google knows everything. This is in Shitsville only, obviously. So if you're adrift in some, you know, advanced country, I don't know what you do. Remember what Volkswagen did for the reputation of dual clutch transmissions? It was like Dresden on the morning of 16th of February, 1945. I'd suggest those chumps at Nissan essentially managed exactly the same thing with the R52 Shat or Pathfinder in respect of CVT reputation globally. The R52 Shat was sold here in Schittsville from October 2013 and it's still on sale today. R52 Series 2, which was literally the number two of current shape shats, was introduced back in December 2016. And Series 3 R52 Shat, which would be the current one, and proving beyond doubt Nissan's extreme capacity for enduring bad ideas, it hit showrooms this year. The gift that just keeps on giving. Here's your shat. Pro tip, okay, if you're in the market, buy a Santa Fe, a Sorento, a CX-9 or a Kluger before considering owning a Pathfinder or Shat. In the six long years that Nissan has Shat upon owners, this noteworthy vehicle has, of course, received numerous industry accolades. My personal favourite was its inclusion in the coveted top 30 used cars never buy list from Consumer Reports. That's actually a thing. It shows how different Reportage is in the United States compared with the shat fight it is here in Australia. 
The R52 Shat made it to number 17 on that particular hit parade, the Never Buy list. Well done there. The Nissan Shat also made Consumer Reports' top 10 worst cars list, that's a thing too, in 2014. Another real highlight, at least as I see it. That's a real anti-achievement, okay? Anyway, you cut it up. Nissan also achieved least reliable Japanese brand status in that year. Yes. With Consumer Reports nailing the coffin shut once and for all by categorising the shat as being at, quote, the bottom of its class for reliability. This episode is proudly supported by the Lycra Elastane Spandex Organisation, or LESO Fabrics, which a man has no place ever wearing. And I'm looking at you, middle-aged Tour de France wannabes. Just disgraceful. Lycra, generally unsuitable if you are a man, except, of course, as a spectator. The designers of the Shat Pathfinder, whatever, cannot actually even hope to blame some third-party transmission manufacturer for that vehicle's pants-pooping proclivity. The Shat's disgracefully undercooked Xtronic CVT is made by a company you've probably never heard of called Jatco, and Nissan owns 75% of Jatco, inconveniently, which makes it roughly equivalent to taking a big crap in the middle of your own lounge room. Nobody wants that. So, the Shat's Xtronic CVT is really nothing more than an ongoing brown-coloured Nissan own goal. <laughs> Reliability of Jatco transmissions got so bad, of course, in about 2014, that subsequently disgraced Renault-Nissan boss Carlos Ghosn walked down the hall to the Jatco boardroom one fateful day in about 2014 with a three-foot razor blade fully withdrawn from its scabbard and he did not return until the blood ran about eight inches deep on the floor. Yes. It was all very kill Bill, you know. Quentin Tarantino would have been so proud... And he, he, Goen, is the world's only Brazilian samurai. I think I saw that movie too on the Lesso Dime. It was excellent. I'm not sure it helped ultimately. Well, the movie certainly helped me, but the bloodletting definitely did not help Mr. Goen at Jatco. Certainly, his current disposition could be best described as rooted and not in a good way. This is increasingly the way across the entire automotive industry. You know, one minute you're running a multinational car company, you're face first in A-grade cleavage, yes, and recreationally siphoning off funds for, I don't know, this and that, and the next minute you're humming Moon River in stir. It's something of a turnaround, isn't it? Anyway, if your appalling R52 Nissan Shat has been driving you progressively insane these past few years, and you'd like a bunch of rabid lawyers to slip one into Nissan on your behalf, 
You might like to visit Bannister Law's website and spill your guts in much the same way as your chat has been spilling its. And now this from you. Fuel cells sent the Apollo program to the moon 600,000 kilometres. It is frankly amazing to me how abundantly wrong a person can be in just one brief sentence. So let's do the easy assassination first. Getting to the moon from Earth, 384,400 kilometres, not 600,000. So there's that. I think it's also unequivocally fair to say that fuel cells did not get any Apollo spacecraft to the moon. They just didn't. What got the spacecraft to the moon was, of course, the jaw-dropping power of the mighty Saturn V rocket. This is mankind's ultimate bad-assed mother-lover of rockets. It just is. It's just preposterously friggin' awesome. As engineering goes, it doesn't get much more awe-inspiring. Even today, more than 40 years later. Stage one of this device, 2,300 tonnes, five mighty Rocketdyne F1 engines, and four of them are on frigging gimbals for steering. It's mind-boggling. 35 million newtons of thrust for 168 seconds. RP-1 and liquid oxygen powered too, like what could possibly go wrong? Get the number of that friggin' bus, even if everything goes right. Because in less than three minutes, you are 93 kilometres downrange and moving at 2.3 kilometres per second, which is about 8,000 kilometres per hour or 5,000 miles per hour. America or Brexit, Stan, whatever, countries like that. Not a bad achievement, I'd suggest, in three minutes, less than three minutes. Anyway, stage two of this thing is quite incredible as well. Five Rocketdyne J2s, four on gimbals again for the steering, liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen this time, so a slightly different mix. 480 tonnes, another inconceivably massive thing streaking through the sky. Five million newtons of thrust for six whole minutes in the upper atmosphere. Incredibly enough, 90% of the weight of stage two of this thing on ignition was fuel and oxidizer. That's pretty efficient when it comes to packaging, I think you'd agree. A little bit different to your car or mine. Stage three, okay, also impressive, but just one J2 rocket there. One million newtons of thrust. You get two burns though, okay, 165 seconds for the first one. That gets you Earth orbit insertion, all right? And then the big party trick, you light it up again for six whole minutes and you achieve translunar injection. And they say Electric Jesus came up with the first reusable rocket, au contraire. Altogether, that's pretty much what gets you to the moon, a shitload of thrust and jaw-dropping amounts of energy and power also precisely delivered. There were, of course, fuel cells in the Apollo service module. There were three of them. They were the primary source of electrical power for the command module. And added bonus, they also produced drinking water for the astronauts because they were busily combining hydrogen and oxygen from liquid tanks of both of those fuels and producing liquid water as a form of exhaust. 
So that's a plus, I guess. When you're streaking through space, it's hard to just find water out there. Nice if you've got a drink when you're away for a week, after all. There were 31 separate cells in each of those fuel cell units, okay? And the maximum output was quite meagre when you think about it. Three lots of 2.3 kilowatts maximum, each about the same as one conventional electric power outlet here in Schittsville. That was all they had for electrical grunt, right? They had batteries for the uh, lunar module, though, of course. The facts actually are pretty important here, and they're not that hard to find, and it's worth respecting them because Apollo is the most outstanding engineering achievement ever. There's no question about this. Apollo shows me what humanity can achieve when we open the checkbook like wide open and get the best brains in the business all together in the one place devoted to the same mission. Hashtag respect. Imagine if we were still kicking goals like that today. Like imagine if we'd spent the last four decades doing crazy, brave, cool, outrageous stuff like that. See... What we specifically don't need anymore around here is more Dunning-Kruger keyboard warrior Muppets getting it wrong in a loud voice. And here, I'm looking specifically at you, David. But you are not alone, because I'm also looking at our science-denying idiot Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who gets up every day and holds Australia back with his bullshit Bronze Age attitudes to things that really matter, in my view, and his absurd counterpart in Retardistan, who's even worse, plus he has nuclear friggin' weapons. Applied science is why you and I don't live in a cave anymore and why an infected tooth is unlikely to kill either of us. Perhaps someone should educate these dipshits in charge so they can give this proven method for the advancement of humanity ever so slightly more of a push. I think you'd agree that'd be nice. If you enjoyed this report and you'd like to support this channel in a tangible way, there's a secure PayPal donation link in the description. It's completely optional, of course, and if money is tight for you, just continue to watch for free. You could also help by sharing this report on social media or by discussing it on your own YouTube channel, on your blog or in your podcast. If you'd like to disagree with me, I'm totally on board with that. But just remember, you are not entitled to an opinion for which you cannot argue. But it would be tedious indeed, I think you'd agree, almost as bad as heaven if all we ever did was agree with each other. And finally, you might choose to like, subscribe and enable notifications so you don't miss any future uploads. Thanks for watching.